How you doing, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Green Machine Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm joined, as always, by David and Martin to chat about something a little bit different today. So in case you didn't notice from my introduction and my closure to Monday's episode, Italy won the Euros. Uh, I'm sure everyone is well aware of that, but one of the things that was probably spoken about more than how fantastic the Italians were was the behaviour of fans at Wembley Stadium on Sunday. And beforehand as well and it's it's certainly been a huge talking point in the media and beyond in the last few days david and martin as you know are both based in london and martin was actually at the game in wembley he was at the final and david you were kind of um you kind of uh, tipped in just beforehand as well so we're going to chat a little bit about you know i suppose what kind of went on outside the stadium in the last couple of days and i suppose possibly the Irish reaction as well, because, uh, I mean, we're, we're not condoning, uh, before we start, we're not condoning any of the scenes that, that went on or anything that happened, but but some of the reactions uh, did reek of hypocrisy to an extent as well. Uh, so I suppose we'll, we'll launch into it. And and from your point of view, uh, David and Martin, might start with you, Martin, seeing as you're at the game, uh, very, very hostile and a very very intimidating situation but something that isn't exactly new to people who have attended games at Wembley Stadium before yeah I, I mean it, it was as you know it's a European final and you're excited to be able to go um, and it's a you know it's a wonderful spectacle UEFA we're always going to put on a good show I've been at the semi-final previously between Italy and Spain um, and that was a brilliant night you know these football, a bit of World Cups and Euros and things like that. And when you go to them, you know, the, the kind of whole UEFA kind of family and you know, feel-good factor of an international tournament is very much there. Um, but sadly, when England play, you get this undertone. And that was very much present the other night when England were, had qualified for the final. Now, I am kind of would see myself as quite experienced and kind of wise to what's going to go on at games, especially high-profile games like that. You have to have your wits about you. Um, you know, even thinking about it now, I, and to be honest, it never really crossed my mind at the time. You know, I brought my nine-year-old son, Key, into the match. I didn't even think there was going to be any problems, to be very honest. Because um, yeah. I just thought, you know, it was brilliant, the semi-final. He had a great night, and now we're, we're so lucky to have final tickets. But going there then... It kind of just it was it was like a kind of wake up call for me. I just thought, oh Jesus, yeah, God, I forgot it's England, and I was just amazed. I, I honestly was, it, and I don't want to condemn like genuine England fans, but I just think the police messed up massively. I felt oh. very sorry for the stewards, um, and I think just UEFA. I know they've since announced they're going to do an investigation into this and and the stuff, but. You know, I, I've done a lot of reading about it last few days. I know the police have come out of uh, even today and said, you know, there was the fact that the game actually ended up being played was a testament to how yeah, they played it so well. Yeah. Because, which, you know, I'm amazed at that because, and I'm also amazed at only 51 arrests. It, and that, to me, shows mm. they weren't prepared because I saw so much criminal activity there, whether it's drug taking, people absolutely out of it with drink. Um, and abusing each other. Yeah. Well, know, well even 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 before the game, Martin. I mean, you you were you were chatting to to us, you know, I suppose in our WhatsApp group, and yeah. you were saying you were saying Jesus. I mean, and this was early. This was like kind of four p.m. And you were like Jesus. You're like I, I can see people, and they're they're actually not going to see the game because they're going to be asleep. Yeah, 
or, yeah. or worse. Yeah, I, I, I can go even better than that. I mean, I, <laughs> I fuck, I. There's gonna be a lot of swearing in this one, folks, because uh, this is. David, just just to put it into context as well. I mean, you you worked in Wembley. I mean, you you work in Wembley a lot. I mean, you do security in Wembley a lot. So, and um, well, you know, I, you... I I used to I used to do security mm. in Wembley a lot, but I was up there uh, working at, at security. Yes, um, and I have like I've worked in every level of that stadium, so I know it inside out. Although I haven't been inside for quite some time, um, but just just in terms of the the state of this this whole thing was a total disgrace. And it was a massive clusterfuck from everybody involved, the organisers, and, and we'll get into that. They were up there. Those England fans were in Leicester Square. I have this on impeccable, from an impeccable source, okay? And they saw these England fans, big gang of them, in Leicester Square at 10 a.m., right? On the lash, yeah. doing what they do best, you know, ruining it for everybody else. And they started throwing bricks at the, the, there's the big famous Odeon that's there. They started throwing cans at the Odeon and all this kind of stuff. They smashed the windows. The Odeon's only opened up. It's the world famous Odeon. We have all those famous premiers in uh, Leicester Square. And they they were smashing at it and uh, they broke the windows. And they were just all out, just being horrible bastards. A police, one police car showed up. And my impeccable source said that that police car showed up, saw the crowd, went fuck that, and left. And they were just left at it. This is London. This is this is 2021. This is London. And I went, I had to work at the game beforehand. So I was there from roughly about two o'clock. Right, I got out of Wembley Park Station. Now it was kind of ramp going up, which I sort of expected. I did not expect that when I got out of Wembley Park Station. And for those of you who've never been there, or maybe you know, you get up on the steps and you look down, and you see the the famous arch, and you see the shops on each side, all the way down Wembley Way. It's called Olympic Way now, but the old Wembley Way. And you walk down to it. About three quarters of that was just filled with people, and I had to get through all that and tried to get down to where I was supposed to be working up nearby the stadium. And it was around the people, people with their tops off, drunk, hammered, ossified. Um, there was already, it, it smelled like sewage. It was disgusting. It was a toilet, basically. It was all, you know, as I said, there's going to be a lot of swearing. There was piss and shit all over the place. There was, you know, there was, you could see drug paraphernalia, like uh, the hippie crack, all this kind of stuff. There was other, you know, obviously there was other drugs taken, there was broken bottles and stuff. This is two o'clock in the day, and you get yeah. down there, and it was madness. And we had to start work at roughly about four p.m. And we started work at four p.m. and we finished work at about four o five p.m. because we couldn't do it. We couldn't do what we were supposed to do. It was part of the event. Won't go into it, and we couldn't do it because we, we we the safety. There was, we couldn't guarantee the safety, um, our own safety and, and those around, those we were working with. We had to shut it down. And it was just, it was madness. I was looking at, I was looking down on it from the height. And there was people throwing bottles at each other. There was people throwing can, taking a swig of a can. I saw one guy take a swig of a can, right, open it up, swig of a can, boom, threw some guy, hit him flush, back of the head. I mean, full on back of the head. 
Not only did he not knock this guy out, but the guy somehow, and the guy picked up the can, smiled and grinned like this is the funniest thing ever, took a swig of the can, and then threw it some other guy and either hit them or almost hit them or aimed for them. I'm looking at this thinking, this is this is like something you see like in, like from a Viking movie or if you're, you know, like you see something like Klingons doing in Star Trek where they're beating the shit out of each other, you know, you think it's funny for any Star Trek fans out there. Um, <laughs> it's just, it was just barbaric. It was, um, it was very, very feral. And you do see stuff like this, not uh, at, at such a high, you know, a huge amount uh, of people doing this, but you do see these kind of things at football matches. I've, I've been working football uh, in England for nine years, so trust me, I've seen it all. I have literally seen it all in football. And there was, they were setting off flares, which is if you let set off a flare in a football ground in England, you will be done. You will be done on firearms offences, right? And rightfully so, by the way, because those things are dangerous. I've done training on these things. I've seen them. Um, we've been shown videos when they explode because they're, they're they um they they can be quite uh, erratic, and they explode. You're either going to maim somebody or you're going to kill somebody. Mm. You're changing their life, one way or another, or your own life. And they were throwing them at people, and the police did nothing. The police did nothing. I saw seven riot police going in. They did nothing. They just sat, stood there and watched these people. That was at two o'clock. This thing should have been shut down from 10 a.m. They should have been around. They said, nah, fuck this. We're not having this. And they should have had a plan B or a C or a D uh, to do this. It's like they forgot how to police. It's like they forgot how to do this. Sorry, man, I know you want to come in there. I'll yeah, just yeah. Up on this little bit here. Because there's a whole lot more to go through. Um, <laughs> it's like... In London, and, and people hear this, yeah, but, you know, they're not capable of holding these events. That's bollocks. London can hold an event. Trust me. You could have, at one particular time on a Saturday, you could have about six football matches. You could have, you'll have several West End shows. About mm. four or five o'clock in the day, you'd have several West End shows going on. You could have a concert or whatever. You could have football matches. You could have all sorts of stuff going on. You'd have athletics going on the same day. You could have a cricket match at Lords or the Oval. You'd have all these different events going on at the one time and it runs like clockwork. But for whatever as, reason... As it should. As it should. But that's how good London is with these things. And for whatever reason, either I think they were caught. Nobody... They didn't want to be seen as being heavy-handed. I think I think they were just worried about the image and they got cut out. I mean, to say they were cut out was a fucking understatement, but they just forgot how to do this. And I've seen the riot police in action at football matches. And let me tell you something, when it starts to get out of hand, I've seen those boys go in and crack a few heads and fucking sort it out and shut the whole thing down. I've seen that. So they can do this. And I do not know why, but they did not do this for the European final. And they'll, mm. we'll get into the consequences of that a bit further on. I think they, I think they didn't do that because they lost control quite early on, and it's a miracle. And I know people will say like we're going over the top here, and I know it's been lots of coverage, and I know off the ball have covered it really well as well. But I don't think we are because someone could easily have been the, the way their behaviour was throwing cans and like you said the flares and stuff. They are things that could happen. You, sadly, you know, you had a lot of kids going to that game. They, they were going to it, and they could be walking through a crowd. You know, like I said, I was walking through a crowd with a kid. And, you know, if something lands next to you or hits you in the, you know, I could probably see it, but you've got no hope if you're a kid. And, and what the damage that could do to a kid is is ridiculous, mm. you know. So, but I think 
just to give like our listeners a context, Wembley, how it is now, because I, I was very much of the view they should have made it a ticket-only zone that day. I think UEFA and the police wanted it to be seen, you know, as their spectacle. Wembley were saying we can host the semi-finals, and it and they did largely successfully. Um, you know, they were both night games as well, um, and but they were midweek as well. So let's not forget that because they they obviously had. That, that is a fact that most people are working and stuff during the day, so then they're not able to go down there at 9.30. I went past Wembley on the day of the final at half nine in the morning, and there was already people around having photos at the stadium, and it all looked really nice, looked all nice and calm. But you could just see the, the kind of... It's just building, really. And um, and that's what we'd heard even during the day. Like, you know, things were going viral, videos of Leicester Square kind of practically being wrecked um, during, during the day. So you knew this was building. As I said, I went down to London, and I could see fans walking past me absolutely out of it really early on in the day um Wembley though just to get the bearings right and, and the setting of it of the scene is they've overdeveloped it so much there's residential flats everywhere all around it and so there's so many and there's a shopping center as well there so there's so many different routes in around the stadium so it's quite hard to kind of put this kind of ring of steel in a way if you wanted to put cordons in if anyone has some of our listeners, I'm sure, have been to Croke Park. And, you know, you can't even get down off the road um, from Quinn's, you know, um, yeah. without showing your ticket and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a pain. Into, into the hill, like, yeah. 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 And, it, and it's really hard to get in there. And, and they've, they've got it well placed. You can't really do that at Wembley. That was my argument with someone earlier on Facebook. Like, I, I actually think they should have had a booze ban around there. They didn't mm. need to bring any fans who weren't going to the game um, into the area. And the, the key factor on this is... They attracted people in to Wembley and they knew that stadium wasn't at capacity because we had a restricted uh, attendance of 60,000. Mm. So fans knew, and you know, I'm even seeing stuff on Twitter now saying that these fans were encouraging each other to go and saying, this is the easiest stadium you can get into in, <laughs> in the UK. Um, and this is how you do it. And they, they were all talking to each other. They knew these disabled doors were the vulnerable areas. And yeah. so they had to kind of beat this cordon. Um, I mean, there must be health and safety risk assessments for these kind of things and security assessments. There I, must I be. Can, I, I can answer I mean, that. I, well, I'm, no, but I'm amazed though, David. The thing about it is, they, so one of the things with COVID, they brought us all up these staircases into the main top concourse. And you had to co- kind of show your kind of COVID passport if you, you know, that you were kind of clear in a way. And so people were just coming up there and going to the top of these stairs. But then when they were turning people away who were trying to blag it or were getting turned away at the cordon, they're coming up against the crowd. I was going in there probably an hour and a half before kickoff. So I had no real urgency in a way. But it took half an hour to get through that first set of steps before I'd even got up then to where you go up to your gate and your ticket's made live because it's all online now or, or on an app now. But you so you would, I, I could just see the crowd around, like, you knew people didn't have tickets and they were next to you and you knew, and you, I was just thinking and waiting to see how they're going to try and get this barrier. How are they going to do that? And they had all these little schemes. They're all chatting and all being all thinking they're being evasive and clever. And they would get, sometimes they make a run for it, jump over the barrier. The police would catch them and just land them right down the side. But it was just ridiculous. Like to do that on a steps, to do it on a staircase, mm-hmm. I couldn't see the logic behind it. And then when you got up to the main bit where you were outside the gate going in, as you know, turnstiles, you had to feed your phone in and it went deep, deep, and then you go. Mm-hmm. And I could just see it, when, when I brought Kean through, he's only small. Um, 
But I could just see like eyes light up from these like feral youths running around because they're thinking we can slip in with him because you could get two people yeah. through the turnstile with someone mm. little. They weren't going to manage it with me, sadly. But um, <laughs> they. Um, but the thing about it was, you know, and I just kind of was. I had my you know wits about me, as I said, used to it, used to these kind of tactics and stuff. So I thought I just made sure that wasn't happening, and then. But, but you could just see them all trying to do it and getting landed out and stuff. And then this bloody disabled gate did get forced. And we were on an escalator at the time inside. And, you know, and, and there's a lot of kids around. They're all looking forward to the game. They're excited. You know, I'm not naive. I would say a lot of fans there at that game, it could have even been their first game and stuff. Or, you know, a lot of people have spent a lot of money to go to this England uh, final, basically, thinking they're going to see history. And they might not be that used to going to games, used to crowds, used to this is yeah. how some people behave. And I just think they had an awful experience. You're hearing that out in the in the press now. But this disabled door flew open and all these youths are coming through. Part, well, not youths, it was all ages. I, I've seen a video outside and there's a mum with two kids running for that door. So that's mm. that's just nuts. They I, knew once they were in, there was going to be 20,000 empty seats that they could occupy and who's going to know where they are. And that was the just damning them. thing. Just them. Um, just something you said there, Martin, that the fact that it's it might have been some people. And off air, actually, on Monday when we when we stopped um, recording our our last episode, you made a really really interesting point, and and David, you actually made this point as well that, and we're going to talk about kind of the Irish context and the Irish reaction to all of this, um, in a few minutes. But it's this whole idea that European games, and if you think back to the eighties, there was the the European ban for English teams, and so on, and you made a very good point that when a lot of English teams go away, with the exception of Chelsea, uh, let's just say that, that they, they know how to behave simply because they know that if they step out of line in wherever, Turkey or Germany or wherever, they're going to get the absolute shit kicked out of them by the police. And you made the point, Martin, that a lot of these fans, a lot of these English fans, are possibly from the you know the lower leagues, the less successful teams, and they've never really tasted success. Um, I'm probably not explaining this point really well, so I might get you to elaborate on it. But it, but in other words, it, it's it's kind of from a lower league culture where hooliganism, where um, you know aggression is is not yeah. only encouraged to an extent, but it's it's just a cultural norm. That, that's it, yeah. So my, my point on that is like Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, all those, and Man United, you know, Liverpool and stuff, their fans are used to going away to Italy, Spain, and they know if we act up, you're going to get hiding here. You know, like you go and take your, you go to Turkey and stuff and you know if you do anything wrong, the police, mm. they, you, you can't go crying to them after. And sadly, innocent people do end up you know, when, when it's in a minority or there's some few throwing bottles, yeah. you see it on Sky Sports News all the time. The police just yeah. come steaming in. They don't care who's in the way. And they just start smashing batons around people's heads. And mm. that's it. And a lot yeah. of innocent people have been hurt over the years on that. Right. So I'm not condemning them, them clubs in particular. But when you see England fans going away, there's always that undertone aggressiveness. Very much you hear England till I die and... Um, you know, their, their songs are crap as well. I, I'm, I've got to just be honest with you. Absolute rubbish. You know, they, they've got no... It's just aggressive, you know, like Royal Britannia. Well, you know, they, thankfully, well, I didn't we, hear No Surrender the other night. But, it, it, um, was, uh, it was funny the other day. I think it was before the Denmark match. I can't remember which one of us kind of said it, but we were like, imagine coming out of the tunnel to Sweet Caroline. You'd be... <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I, like I, I mean, thinking, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're trying to intimidate the opposition, I don't think Sweet Caroline but is gonna all... is gonna do the job. <laughs> the thing on that though is that's very much the the that's very much the uh, matchroom boxing uh, experience. That is that all that music is all you know to to look brilliant on telly. They have this basically. You can go on Spotify and get the matchroom boxing night. Uh, you know music from it because the set list basically because it's just standard you know they just you know we, we you know the, the mcgeady we sing mcgeady to it or what we used to um like you know i think the white stripes is it yeah that one and um mm. and you've got like um all these absolute shite songs but what they do is it does generate an atmosphere and it's brilliant on the boxing if you watch it every night it's the same set list but sweet caroline they've actually now cut the song and it's just it was just so boring after a while the other night it was just the chorus over and over again. Cringeworthy. And it's so, like, I, you know, I, um, to, not to go off on a tangent, but I am going <laughs> to. But when we went to Wales years ago, when, when James McLean got the winner, the 1-0, and we mm. knew that Wales, it was, it, the FAI kind of got wind that the Welsh were going to cut their anthem, like, halfway through, and then let the fans take over. So that was going to mm. be intimidating. But we knew that was happening. So the, the Irish lads were prepared for it. But that's, that that is a genuine atmosphere. That's something that mm. you are going to be intimidated by. Yeah, it's organic. And that yeah, it's organic. That's the word I was looking for. Right. But this is just staged. It's all to kind of give the big party atmosphere. I mean, I know they're sponsored by Vivo or someone like that. It can't be that memorable to me, the sponsorship, because uh, I think I got that right. But you know, he's a DJ and he's sitting in the corner there getting the atmosphere and it's all oh, mm. everyone clap along to this song and you've got U2's official anthem blaring out. But it was just so staged. Um and and again, you know, I just think my I know I've gone well off a tangent here, but now back to the point of you know how fans behave and know what they do. You know, I've seen Irish fans abroad as well. We're not innocent in this of you know, but by and it is very lad culture and stuff. People having the bag of cans that's a, all a great crack. No problem with it as long as we behave and we've got a brilliant reputation for you know cleaning up after ourselves. But I have been in squares and island trips where I've seen mm. like the ball flying up in the air. And splatter a, a lunch that this lovely yeah. family are, uh, mm. on t- uh, on a tourist trip are having, and you know everyone then just starts throwing euros in and going, "Oh, we're really sorry, everybody," and then it's all very good, and they're smiling through kind of grimace. Really, the dads, how can mm. we kick off with five thousand of us or whatever it is? But um, you know that that happens. I know that happens. But here, I think with England fans, you definitely have this undertone of aggression and very, uh, especially nationalist identity and and their whole superior superiority complex and you have that then with these fucking dregs of society basically who were just taking advantage of the situation with the security i yeah i mean in terms of the security of the stadium um as i said i couldn't believe it and i I take your point on the whole build up of the area you couldn't put a ring of steel If if you ever work for example i've i've seen certain events at the royal albert hall where there's a major police presence and they put a ring of steel around Kensington Gore and um, not Kensington, Kensington Gore and oh Cromwell Street <laughs> around that area. They have like uh, they put like a ring of steel around it. Now, obviously, the Royal Albert Hall is a small, well, compared to Wembley, it's a small building. I'm wondering, most buildings are small compared to Wembley, but that's how they fortress around it. And you're not going to mess with them because they have police officers with machine guns for certain uh, events, shall we say. And he didn't have that. I couldn't believe this piddly little fence. It was shocking. And this is where the whole thing fell down, right? They wanted to create this whole 
if that was an England, if that was a club game between two rivals, that would have been police. That would have been category C. Okay, and depending on the after that, I would I think it goes to C or C or which is civil unrest, which it's a category C. So category A is um, basically there's always police in a, in the control room, but there's only good police in the control room kind of thing, you know, in case anything happens, but no visible police. Category B is there's police outside the stadium, but not inside the stadium. And category C is inside and outside to heavy police presence. And then for the special categories, it's CUR, I think, or C++. It, I think it's changed over, over, the, the, over the years. And the only time I remember that happening, the CUR, and I worked at it, was Millwall and Tottenham. And that was pure carnage. That actually kicked off inside the stadium. I was outside. I had bottles, bricks, uh, everything thrown at me. We were trying to get Millwall fans because we were in the Millwall section because we had done work for Millwall. And we were, we were actually trying to get them into the stadium. And that was carnage. 400 people stormed an exit because uh, certain people, not us, I will say, did not do their job properly and they were allowed to get in. So I have seen this type of thing happen before. And when I got in, mm to the vomitories um, in White Hart Lane, the old White Hart Lane. In fact, there were, there were it was the last season of it. Um, there was people, it, it was rammed. Like you couldn't get in out to the steps of the stadium. There was people standing. It was like a Victorian era football match. It was how somebody didn't die, I do not know. Uh, somebody yeah. did have a heart attack in front of me. This never got, this never got mentioned, by the way. This mm. was never mentioned in the press because trust me, I, I checked it and I witnessed this. I witnessed is, this. I worked Is, is there a, is there a lot of games that don't get mentioned where this kind of yeah. unrest happens or is this just yep. because it was on the global stage that it got a bit more exposure this got it listen this got a bit because sorry sorry to interrupt you david but um i was listening to a certain certain radio station which i won't name in case we get in trouble but um there was a girl she was irish and she's a qpr fan and she was saying that um it must have been qpr millwall and she said, um, she was like, oh, she's like, I got to keep your all the time and not necessarily at Loftus Road. But she said, she said, this is happening all the time. It's just not the mm -hmm. same volume of people. She said, this oh, is yeah. nothing new. I don't, I don't, she's like, I don't know why people are getting carried away. Yeah, this, this is nothing new. Um, and I've worked football for a very long time. There are certain towns and there are certain clubs from certain parts of the country that come down. And you kind of go, oh, this is going to be a rough, this is going to be a long L day. And some very famous clubs that come down as well and their fans and you're like, oh, God. And then you deal with it and you have all the shit and you're like, all right. And it's a lot. You, you've had a long day, you know. Um, I have worked England matches in the past and you always get skirmishes. And I remember the FA Cup final, Man United and Crystal Palace at Wembley. So first time doing security at it. And I remember just having, like, I remember just, hey, just kicked off. And those... Um, disable access to call them the airlock. They they're for like customer queries, disable access, or if you're throwing somebody out of the stadium. And probably what happened there was that somebody got somebody tried to throw them out, and it was just thirty or so people behind that door and mm. got in. I've had that. I've had fights break out, and I like I've seen it. it happens all the time. Like football is not squeaky clean in in, in England at all. Mm. You know, and it's just these idiots that get. Um, drunk, smashed, and then they think, "Oh my God, I'm smashed! I I better sort myself out for the game, otherwise I'll miss it." And they start to, doing coke. This just happened 
en masse. So this is this is why I cannot understand the police reaction and the planning on the whoever signed off on it and Wembley. Yeah. And Wembley's used to this sort of stuff. There was a, a European match, I think, with Tottenham in the Champions League. I think it was against Milan. It was one of the Milans. Inter Milan, lad, I think, yeah. Yeah, the lads are telling me that. And the concourse, the, the Inter Milan fans kicked off. And they started going at it. And then the security team had a massive punch-up with, with them. Like, they were, you know, it was a free-for-all. And lads were telling me about this. So this this goes on all the time. Yeah. So I I think the other night it was the perfect storm, basically. You had the fact that there was 20,000 empty seats. The behaviour yeah. and not, not policing the alcohol zone. You know, imagine getting off the train. You're, you're thinking, we're commuting. You're encouraged to go to Wembley. And you're trying to walk up Wembley Way. Mm. That should have been a clearance zone. They should have been clearing that all the time, moving people on. You're not gathering here. Piss off, basically. That's this, it. This... They couldn't have gone up to the cordon and they could have just cleared that area. They had to do that, but they were frightened of having the, you know, the, the response of, oh, you're being heavy-handed. And once they're going a bit heavy, then you're going to have kind of running battles with the police. And that's what they wanted to avoid because UEFA would be scathing of it, basically. And this should have been months in the making, really. I mean, they, they've, they've known for how many years yeah. now that they were going to host a tournament. Yeah. They've, known they were... the la- they've known for the last 18 <laughs> months or so that they were going to host a tournament with there COVID. There should be a plan, but they should have a plan that they take out. And it's a panic station plan where it's like, what does happen? If England get to the final of this, we know what our yeah. fans are like. They're going to have an early walk up. They're going to be pissed up. Um, it's on the weekend, so a lot of them will be off. Probably a lot of them are going to come down to the game. They probably don't don't have tickets. They don't work. You know, they're going to have twenty thousand empty seats. They're going to they're going to try it. We have to be on this in case this happens because mm-hmm. you know what, our fans aren't that great. You know, well, a lot of them. Will, will come down and cause trouble. I've I remember working at an England Portugal match and these lads came down from Burnley and they were constantly goading the, the Portuguese ultras and we were on the seg line. And I remember this guy came out and he he crawled under the tarping and went under the tarping, got into the Portuguese lad's face and like started waving his England flag thinking this was funny. He thought this was fun to him. This was funny. He didn't realise that he could have got the absolute piss beaten out of him because he was so off his head. I remember going up and grabbing him and my mate just like escorting him out and then the por- then holding the Portuguese lad, you know, thankfully he was hammered as well, wanting to kill this guy, you know. It was just, you get these idiots, you get these sort of things. So none of this behaviour, this is like, this is almost like... It's nothing, I mean, it's it's nothing new. This was just, this, this nothing, I, I, as, you, I, as you said, yeah. David, this was just done en masse. And as, we, as we're speaking about reactions, we spoke about the lack of reaction, I suppose, by the police and, and, and so on. But in terms of reaction... Uh, what do you make of the Irish reaction to those scenes at Wembley over the weekend? Um, I say there were a lot of them were fucking pouring like a Cheshire cat, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they probably kills me of talking out of both sides of my mouth here because I'm, I'm lambasting the fans on one occasion, you know, and then I'm, I'm, I'm not, well, like, you, you can't defend that, what, what went on, but it was just to, before I get onto the Irish point, that was a, that was a perfect storm. You had lads that were locked up for, for ages, you know, um, there was a, um, obviously lockdown, all this kind of stuff. It doesn't excuse it, by the way. You had that, poor policing, England are in the final for the first time for 55 years. It's coming home, apparently, because it's in Wembley. They thought, oh, well, it's in Wembley. There were so many things, and they put a notice out and said, oh, please don't travel to the stadium, and they thought that would do the job. Sometimes you have to be more robust, and when you, and a lot of these guys would not, the, the English police are not respected over here, right? I was working at an event 
and the police there was police there and they were telling people they had to disembark their psych uh, the bike and walk it through and it was just ignoring them they had no respect for them well you go to like you go to i remember slovakia we went to in bratislava 10 11 years ago i remember just coming out and they locked us in for an hour afterwards and then we walked out and you walk out and these guys have got machine guns and they got battens and or they probably not machine guns they're probably uh, uh smoke grenades and stuff like this and you're not gonna fuck with they look like robocop you're not gonna fuck with these guys and they will give you a hiding yeah. but the, the police over here are like oh no you know let's not do that and because they will be filmed they'll be accused and to be yeah fair, well it's, it's it's they will similar, be accused it's, it's similar to in ireland as well isn't it i mean it's yeah well i suppose it's the, i suppose it's the force yeah. don't they say that the force is too aggressive aggressive a term but 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 that's it but come back to the irish point lads irish point, yeah, um, and, and to yeah. the to to the reaction uh it, it was I suppose online, online, and so on from from Irish fans in regards to English fans, and and so yeah. on because it, um, it, was, it, was it was very much expected, wasn't it? Uh, especially after our conversation last week about, um, you know, about the Irish perspective towards England, and and yeah. is it wrong that we're so um, anti-English when it comes to the football? I think, I think but, so. I but, you know, but, re- but we saw we saw further we saw for, further sentiments as well with the reaction yeah. to those scenes at Wembley. Yeah, I I think as well. Like as I said, I, I'm not saying that you have to support, uh, because they're they're your neighbour kind of thing, you know. And um, I know we, Brian, Brian and I had a bit of a conversation uh, about it. I don't really take the point, you know, thinking about it. I don't take the point of, oh well, you know, I I'm not going to support my um low my local our local rival or our local team or whatever, you know, or our neighbours, um. I think it's more a point of, okay, you don't have to support them, but why do you have to hate them so much? I think that's the issue. You don't have, like, you, you support whoever you want. We all have our favorite countries that we support. Maybe Holland back in the day and, you know, other people be Spain or whatever. I'm not saying you have to support England, you know, but why do you have to hate them so much? Okay, yes, their fans did what they did and it was fucking ridiculous and it was disgusting and it was outrageous. And yes, come out and condemn the fans. But let's be honest. Um, the hypocrisy was out there. I mean, there was people having to go at Sterling. Um, you know, oh, he, he's a diver, he's a cheat, he's done this. Like, he's the only player that's ever gone down easy for a penalty. Do you know what I mean? As I said, like, and then we're going on about, oh, the Italians, they're they're fantastic. We love their fans and they're amazing. Sorry, what did Napoli fans do to Brian Cox outside yeah. Anfield? Do you know what I mean? And, 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 and as you said um, fantastically last week, uh, that the Italian Spain match, the Italians have more roles than Greg's. Exactly, like that, <laughs> no, that, that wasn't that, really mentioned. They're known for. Do you know what I mean? Like that is what they're known for. But like that, that all gets washed away. That all gets swept under the carpet. The Kalini foul on Saka should have been a red card. And I saw somebody yeah. argue, oh no, 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 no. That that was a clever foul. That that was a brilliant foul. That was an amazing foul. That was like how clever did, he did think, it? Did, did you think that should have been a red card? Really. I think so. Yeah, he got the guy. No, with no, well, he's grabbed. So he's, 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 he's grabbed. He's grabbed. neck, Mark. Oh, I know he's grabbed his shirt. He's grabbed his shirt. No, it, I, so, yeah. no way. That's just cynical. That's Italian. You see that every. That's nothing. I Honestly, that. that was that was the most. Nothing. If he if he makes the connection with his neck, it's it's a red, and I think uh, you well, know you uh, in 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 real time in real time it looks like it, but I think okay. if if you grab the shirt, What's the I don't okay. think it's I don't okay. think it's a red. That could have gone wrong, and he could have actually seriously hurt him, right? What is the difference with that than going in in a tackle? You don't have any intention of hurting him, but you get sent off for it anyway because you because you could have hurt him. What's the difference there? I don't see a difference. Well, by the the rules of the 
the land of the law, I suppose. That's that's it, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, a tug on the shirt. It, for, for the referee, though, it's it's tugging the shirt. It's a tug on the shirt, but it's proper, still a proper cynical and foul. And, and, you know, he, he's, he has reacted. Well, he's clever. He nearly had his but he's clever. Off, but, but Sterling's a diver. Sterling's a diver, but he's clever. The Italian players are going down cheap as well. It's part of the game. You know, and then you had uh, Bernard O'Byrne. Now, we had a lot of time for Bernard, uh, but he came out with, an, uh, you know, and I do have a lot of time for Bernard for what he did as FAI CEO, but he came out with a ridiculous comment. And, you know, that, mm. unfortunately, that, that has cost him his job. I mean, you can't expect to say things like that um, and, and and remain in a job, but he came out and said black dives matter. Do you know what I mean? And everyone, and that was the sort of, and yet again, you have English fans are racist and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, but then you have that, stuff like that being said and you're like i'm sorry guys but there is double standards all over the place do mm. you know what i mean and i think it got a bit i think a lot of it was because of the sheer hatred for england and then you had other people saying this is england this is the country of england i mean you know it was their football fans we know their football fans have a reputation have a bad reputation but it's not the country of england england as i said before is a very welcoming country it is it perfect it absolutely is not perfect they, they were cut out badly and let, let's be honest right you know do you guys remember the love ulster riots of 2006 i do and i remember and, I, and this is a very important point i want to make it what i want to make on this the guardie were cut out unbelievably with that <laughs> And I remember for weeks up to this, getting taxis into town and going to work because I was probably too hungover to get a bus. And, and you know, it'll be late. And they were constantly saying, no, nah, we're, really, we're, we're not going to town that day. It's going to be mayhem. It's going to be murder. Like, people are going to, it's the 90th anniversary of the Easter Rise, and we're going to go up and break. They're going to break these guys. And yeah. they, I remember that morning I went over. There was no police presence whatsoever because we were working in the Paddy Powers in Marlborough Street. And I was late. So I had to go and get the Supermax. And I went, oh, I was just like, there's like pockets of police here thinking, this isn't good. It's going to be mayhem here. And the top of Parnell Street, they were left off. The, the unionists were left off at uh, um, Thing Square, uh, Par- Parnell Square. And at the top of Parnell Street, they, uh, sorry, O'Connell Street, which went on to Parnell Street, they had paving stones because we're repaving O'Connell Street. And you had this, like, and readily available for the rioters. And the whole thing kicked off. And I was there. I saw the whole thing when it kicked off. I was right there when it happened. And then the police came up. My mom said, oh, the politicians were very surprised with this. They weren't expecting it. And, you know, the police weren't expecting it. And you're like, are you fucking for real? So it does happen. You know, it happened. OK, that was 15 years ago. And you'd hope that never happened again. So these things do happen. Well, we but, had the same thing on Grafton Street recently, though, didn't we? That was like letting off fireworks yeah. and stuff. That was all happening. So, yeah, you know, like... a. You know, I know that I think the circumstance of, you know, the, the kind of posts coming out of lockdown as well is a big thing. You know, people are letting off steam. They've got so much pent up energy and frustration. They're angry at the world stuff. You know, mm. people have gone through terrible times and stuff. I can understand that. And but I just think they could have avoided having that at Wembley. You know, they, they could have pleased it yeah. so much better and said, don't come to Wembley. There's no, you know, I've been at stuff at Wembley and there's been a booze ban and you can't get a drink in the shop and stuff. I've been at Europa, you know, Champions League finals in Rome when there was a booze ban. They they can, UEFA are used to doing those things, even though their beer sponsors are all over it and it's partners and stuff. Question. It, 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 it's something that you can do. You Mark, can Mark, do qu- it. Qu- question. Was there, was there booze? What, what Was it the 0.5% uh, booze in the stadium for the final, was there, in Wembley? No, no, it was alcohol, wasn't it? Jesus so Christ. Do you remember, I 
from work from years of working at I've never attended an England qualifier, um, but only for work back in the day. But um, yeah. for European qualifiers, there was UEFA put a, a blanket ban. And for Champions League matches, your wife used to put a blanket ban and used to go for Liverpool matches and they, and you couldn't get an alcoholic drink in Anfield because your wife had put a ban on it and you couldn't get an alcoholic drink for European qualifiers um, for England matches at all. And my God, it made everything so much easier. And I used to love telling them, it's like, oh, can you get beers upstairs? And they'd be up, going up the escalator and it's too late and they're in and they'd be going up and it's like, can I get beers up there? No, sorry, mate. It's your qualifier. There's no booze in the stadium. And you see the little face crestfallen and, you know, they're going away in the escalator up to level five. It's like, but, sorry, pal. You're f- that's, no, that's the no thing now, though. That, that's the thing, though. UEFA are, are that they're giving so much responsibility to fans now. They, you know, because of their sponsorship deals, it, it's they can't now do that. You know, they yeah. can't say, oh, there's a booze band mm. in the stadiums and stuff. Yeah, you can't have it in the actual stands. You know, I've been at World Cups where, you know, you, you have you ha- everyone looks like they're drinking Budweiser, but it's actually soft drinks mostly that people are having because, yeah. but it's in the Budweiser Cup, but that gets a sponsor out there. That yeah. was in the World Cup 2002, I think. Um, but, and even I think Germ- Germany, I think that well, was Coca-Cola Cups uh, in the France 2016. Um, but, you know, that, that's their way of doing the sponsorship marketing stuff with it. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, they should have done a booze band there. Um, and they should have just driven fans away from from the, that area because it was their spectacle, it was their, their showpiece event, and it could have gone really, really spectacularly wrong. And I, I actually have a great admiration for the stewards because seeing people break in and force them away, I mean, the stewards had a good go at it. And I know there's condemnation of England fans fighting back and pay your money and all that kind of stuff and levering people as they're coming through the door and a lot of fighting going on. I think you'd get that with England fans anyway. But I can understand the frustration of them as well because I'll be honest, like I was really protective of Keen there and that, and oh. I just couldn't wait to get into the actual seated stand. And you know, I was quiet during the game. I wasn't cheering for anybody, um, like you know, openly and stuff. I had to kind of tell Keen, because everyone's going, "Oh, was a little boy there. Oh, enjoy the game, mate," and stuff like that. Who's going to win? And I had to kind of say to Keen, Keen, it's. Your answer's England here, <laughs> so <laughs> that's fine. And uh, you know, you know, and I just, oh, I think it's going to be penalties or whatever like that. And I was just going, oh, it's going to be close. And but what I I could gather from fans around us, none of them were going out to the concourse to get drinks and stuff because they were just amazed at it. Like you know, there was a couple of girls down from us um, with their dads, and they were saying, there's no point going out there, love. You know, just don't go out there because it's just it's it's horrible. It's all slippery, slidey, beer showers everywhere drink smash bottles glasses all over the concourse mm. inside the stadium um and they just couldn't cope with that either but i don't think they'd had that kind of crowd there who were just absolutely going mad you know you had fans going off with you know shirts off and stuff like that you know you just had them looking like absolute tramps <laughs> and the other thing i can't believe was and i know this is definitely going off a tangent the amount of union jacks i seen uh, they just kind of forgot who was playing <laughs> um you know i I don't have a problem with the the English flags, the flag of St George. That's their that's their colours. That's their national flag. I don't mind that. You know, I think, you know, I'm very proud of the Irish flag and stuff, and we we bring it away with us everywhere. And and you should you should have that. But I just didn't understand the Union Jack and stuff. And then yeah. people waving it and singing all the songs, trying to get that aggressive songs going. You know, I just yeah. I just don't get it. A lot of it is is absolutely awful. A lot of it is fucking. Yeah. Just speaking of Great Britain, then lads, were due to 
you know, put in a joint bid with them for 2030. And uh, I'm not saying we were ahead of the curve by no means were we, because I mean, you know, it, it was naturally going to be discussed. But I, I suppose when the when the whistle went, we we kind of raised that amongst ourselves, and we we kind of said, Jesus, you know, we're not going to be hosting the 2030. I don't think we were going to anyway. But it's you know, I mean, Leo Varadkar has come out in the last couple of days and commented on it, and you know, obviously we said UEFA are going to be launching an investigation, uh, uh, you know, on the the scenes over the weekend and beyond. So where does this leave us uh, in Ireland in terms of that World Cup bid, regardless of infrastructure? We might go into that and, and so on, but with with um with this whole issue of fan violence uh what kind of a major disadvantage will this put us at when we come um, up against uruguay and argentina yeah look i mean that whole 2030 bid and ireland's involved in that is, is a lot of bollocks quite frankly it's a fallacy it's not going to happen the infrastructure is not there it isn't and politicians are using this to peddle this to probably take away uh, from their own deficiencies uh, well it's not probably let's be honest it is and to take away the deficiencies of Irish football Irish football needs its concentrations elsewhere such as developing the uh, League of Ireland and developing stadia and infrastructure not never mind the country football needs to sort out its infrastructure the infrastructure of the country not a hope in hell major city in Europe we don't even have an air link or a rail link to the airport in any of their airports it's you know that's something that should have been sorted out a long time ago and that's obviously we know different ministers for different reasons and you know we, we know we know how certain things like that work i don't get bogged down in that but you know it didn't happen for whatever reason and it should have happened a long time ago so the infrastructure isn't there and this is just going to be used and that's why i'm so annoyed against this because this is going to be used to deflect what needs to be really done with irish football and we need more infrastructure stadia facilities Irish football is way behind the curve and it needs its concent- the concentration of the FAI and the government on that, not on some bid. That's never, let's be honest, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's not, it was never going to happen anyway. It most certainly isn't going to happen now. And do you know what? London does not deserve to hold the World Cup final. It doesn't. And it, that angers me because I know how good this city is at hosting stuff. But how could you justify it after that? Wembley's not fit for purpose anymore. And, you know, and, 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 they don't deserve it and the police deserve a, whoever organized and signed off on this they all deserve to be dragged in front of the mps and they do that over here not not that wishy-washy crap that you got in the Oireachtas with john delaney oh i've a no from a ma sorry i don't have to answer any questions well okay okay fair enough and they actually upheld because they got sued, didn't they? And the act, and this is the ridiculousness of this whole thing in Ireland. They actually got sued. I remember re- read about this in champion in uh, champion football. A minister, a TD, got sued for asking a particular question that the guy didn't like, and he got sued over it. And now ministers can't ask these questions because they could get sued. Yeah, you got the M- the the MPs over here, and they will rip you apart, and rightfully so. Mike Ashley got it. Um, you've had like. You've had several ministers being, you know, the health ministers, all this kind of stuff. They get torn apart. I would not like to be in front of those MPs because they just take great pleasure in doing it and they're very good at doing it. And that's what I hope happens to whoever signed off on this. It's never going to happen. Uh, Leo Varadkar obviously is going to go on about this because it's good for for politics. Oh, yes, we want a World Cup. We're, you know, it, it's it, it's just image. It's not going to happen. It mm. isn't going to happen. It, it's delusional. The Euro- no, of course, delusion. The Euro 2008 was an absolute joke. 
<laughs> it was. We, we took it to a building site. We took it to a field. Abbottstown, yeah, that got built. Yeah, okay. The only stadium, the Krog Park, yeah, we, we, we might have access to that. And to be fair, they did in the end, but they didn't know that. You know, they took it to a fucking building site, to a field. And then the only stadium they actually could use was Lansdowne Road, and that wasn't fit for purpose. It was a joke. They didn't even go, didn't they? Not? They didn't... No, they didn't even go to it. They, they, I, I, I don't know whether they didn't invite them to it. They didn't even bring them to it. I remember just watching that the <laughs> one stadium. So now we don't want to see that because it wasn't because Anson Road is beautiful. Hmm. Um, it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing stadium, but it was a beautiful stadium in terms of atmosphere, yeah, so, uh, authentic, and oh, even, yeah. even, even the rugby bit. I mean, the, the certain amount of delusion around that because I mean that was hyped up for so long, and then. You know, obviously the French bid, which you know, when you're when you're Irish, you're gonna look at the French bid and say, "Oh no, 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 we'll we'll host it." You know, we'll we'll have games in, oh, nineteen thirty Soviet style stadiums. Because I mean, like I remember even Thurlis, like Thurlis lost their their bid to be part of the bid. If you get me, does that make sense? Yeah. Like their yeah. bid to be part of the bid because they've only got like a couple of hotels. They've very yeah, little transport, and then and then people looking at McHale Park up in up in Mayo and. Jesus, and Fitzgerald Stadium down in down in Killarney, like it was absolutely delusional. And 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 if you can't host the Rugby World Cup, good luck for the football. I mean, what well, we'd be hosting probably two games. It's delusional. It's, and, uh, and 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 yeah, I mean, it's an argument for a different day. But but I suppose the fact that the you know that England are are really the heavyweights in that bid and really the the main puller in that bid it's it's certainly going to count against the bid as a whole and argentina and uruguay will be licking their lips what when I, it comes to around to the election for that what I, what i will say what i will say though about um this country and dealing with things if there is an inquiry this country does tend to learn on most things it does turn to learn its lessons eventually um, it fortunately is a very reactive uh, structure over here in England. It's not a proactive one, as we've seen, because obviously England fans, first were, you know, all these things, they should have sat there, right, what problems can we face here if England do get to it? Because you know what, they have a good side, they have a very good chance. What do we do here? What are the chances we're going to face here? Because we're not going to have any foreigners in London because of the um, because of the COVID ban, the travel ban, etc. We're going to have London-based fans from these countries, which are fucking loads anyway, because that's London. What happens? That should have been the proactive. And that mm. should have been like a special, you know, oh God, lads, you know, red alert lockdown and you take out the special envelope and you have a look at it. But they are very reactive. And I would say what would be going in London's favour and England's favour for that, that they do tend to learn their lessons with these certain things. Um, mm. Sometimes it takes a couple of goes, but these have got a bit better at it. And I say that it could still go tits up if they did it again, but they won't get it again. And to be fair, what do you say to that? Like, I mean, to what happened yeah, I, on I, Sunday? I think I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting this this twenty thirty bid, um, which I think it's twenty twenty two where you kind of have to put yourselves forward for it. So they're working on it now. Um, I was at down at UEFA's kind of headquarters in London before the final, um, and. I was introduced to the guy. I think actually has got relations with Mayo, um, who is responsible for UEFA's basic basic World Cup 2030 bid. 
and you've got to remember that it's England and you know the kind of home nations and ourselves basically and then they've got the option of UEFA going for Portugal and Spain as well so um, I would say at the moment it's it's this is very damaging to England and, and Ireland's joint bid um, you've got to remember as well Wembley have got a Euro they've got a Champions League final in 2024 that's going to be happening so mm. it'll probably be a little bit too late for them in a way then um, I was just just quickly searching there where the Champions League finals are going to be held because they were supposed to have it in 2020 um, but obviously because of Covid that's why it got yeah. moved um, but Wembley UEFA love Wembley because it's 90,000 it's a big massive big stadium that they can accommodate you know most of the most of Europe do speak English as well so it's that's a that's a factor as well with them and you think you know we're talking about infrastructure with Ireland stuff. Wembley still is a disaster. Even now with the mm. overpopulation of all these residential flats, to get in and out of it is an absolute joke. It takes hours. And that's another thing I was just amazed at. that They, they didn't have a kind of, they have it on the way out to get on the trains. They have these uh, filter queues um, with all the railings and stuff there. But they should have had actually had that well away from the state. You know, they should have had all that kind of thing to get into the stadium, to these cordons. That would have brought people further away from the stadium. Um, I think... It's interesting uh, with what's going on at the moment now with the condemnation of all the racism as well of, of the play, players after the game, uh, which is outrageous, as we know. Um, even um, Anton Ferdinand's come, come out tonight and said, you know, we can't even be thinking about 2020, 2030, a bid until we get our own house in order, basically. And, you know, yeah. I know everyone's been condemning of the of the, um, of the the racism, rightly so. And, it, and it's just interesting. You can see the internal wars now. I know everyone in England is quite disappointed, but politically, you've got Pretty Patel and Tyrone Mings having a Twitter spat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that is just the undertone of everything that's going on in, this, in, in England at the moment and the disappointment with the football. But it was all coming back to the kind of disappointment and disillusionment of the population, really, with the government as well and how they've handled mm. things and they don't once, represent it. So. Once, those, once those penalties were missed on Sunday, you knew what was uh, coming. I mean, g- yeah. given the season, I, and the thing is, the thing is, that this has existed for, for a long time, but social media provo- provides the platform. I saw on Waterford Whispers today, they said, uh, you know, country blames social media for their, you know, for their cultural racism. <laughs> you know, oh, so it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. if you go up north, I've been at, like, I went to Man United Blackburn years ago. I, I was, I'm just thinking, you're in the, you know, we're living in London. You're just so cultural, and you're you've, you've got everyone welcomed and stuff mm. like it's, it's that. And I went up there, and it was like going back to 1960s, 70s. It was just yeah. and just the racial undertones of everything. It's like I, I was just amazed at it and just accepted as well. Um, but I think you know we've got to bring it back to Ireland as well. You know, we, we we're not. I think we're more embracing uh, in a way. Um, with different cultures and things like that, but we're not blameless as well as a nation no, as well. We, 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 absolutely we not. We can't just go, oh, it's England, it's their problem and stuff, because we've had things like, we've had Irish people abusing Ian Wright, that kid there did that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, Danny so, Kerry. Yeah. Um, sorry, so, yeah, Cyrus Christie. Yeah, we've had Irish Wait, players well, being An Irish born. Yeah, yeah. An autograph signing, yeah. Yeah, so we've seen it and, and, it, and it does happen. And I know that's just society in general. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting that twenty thirty thing. Um, but you know, I'm not really too worried about it for the time being. I, I, like like David said, I, I I think it was a it's a flash of the pan idea. It's a gesture at the moment, and we've got bigger things that we want to do. And uh, again, just come on to like bit bit of kind of news from from the UEFA. 
I think we made a massive mistake uh, giving up our Euro games in Ireland because, yeah. you know, it was a massive, I think overall, let's look at the tournament, it was really, really positive, great goals, great games, exciting football. I know, again, because of COVID, everyone was desperate for a really good tournament, weren't we? Mm-hmm. And we were glued to it. And it was a shame Ireland weren't there, of course, but we did, we did get that. It was exciting as well for England being there, you know, being in London, you know, seeing them, kind of go close it, it the nation does get behind them you've got to respect that as well mm. um and i just think I, I felt sorry for the lads who missed the penalties and i know someone's got to lose and stuff i mean i great admiration for italy i, I, I love the fact they won it um but you know the the, the nations the pressure on england yeah. is incredible like it really is and they are close to it you know they're so close to winning one and i'm glad they didn't know to be ultimately <laughs> honestly and that is to be honest is the reaction, I, I was fully prepared going to Wembley thinking I could see them win the Euros here and I, I don't, I wasn't bothered. I honestly wasn't and, and that, because I just feel we're not competing with them at the moment and I think for me, the fact that we lost the game at Wembley in the lockdown game, yeah. we, we used to be able to hold that over them that we hadn't lost since have lost in about 20-something years, yeah. And we used to always be able to say that. Well, if we are Ireland is so crap, how come you've not beaten us since then? And that was my my argument all the time. But that had gone, mm-hmm. and I just think the competition... And Again, I think a valid point is with Ireland fans, I think, and I know we mentioned it when we... We basically had a chat like this the other night um, where we had the idea for this one. But I think they had, I, I just don't understand the hatred of England. And, and why I say that, and I think it's an important message to get to Irish fans, is we've got to remember a lot of our players are over here. They've made careers here. Um, they've got family now. They've married into English way of life as well. Their kids are being brought up, whether we like it or not, they're being brought up, yeah, with a bit of Irish in them. But they are being brought up in English. And, and I think the whole hatred thing of England is, is quite over the top because... Yeah. I think if, but, that's, but that's even, going to discourage people wanting yeah. to be part of Ireland and, and understanding but, the culture. But that's, but that's the thing, because it, it leaks into something even more dangerous. Maybe not a hatred, but a, a, you know, a, a negativity towards the diaspora. And maybe yeah. stemming from Declan Rice and Jack Grealish. But I mean, you can probably, I mean, you can speak from that firsthand, Martin. But, you know, I think, I think the way that the diaspora are spoken about in general, when it comes to football, is is horrendous. Certainly in recent years, because you know you, you see these things, and they say, "Oh, um, I mean, we we put something up about Lauren James recently, Reese James's sister, saying, mm. um, you know, uh, she qualifies for Ireland. Uh, she's no England cap. She's fairly, she's a very talented player, but she's she's way down the pecking order for England." And we said, "Will she be worth, you know, uh, getting a shout from Vera Powell?" And the amount of people that were like, well, she's English. And it's like, yeah, but you don't know that. You haven't been in her household. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you've no yeah. idea. And 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 this is the perception. This is the assumption. And Breen put it really well last week. And he said, like, if you're, you know, if, if you're not dual nationality or if you're not from a certain descent, then you can't really understand it. And I, I can speak firsthand from that. I mean, I'm I'm half Portuguese and no one else that I know can really you know, kind of relate to that because they haven't got Portuguese blood. Um, and when Portugal play, I, 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 I love it. Like, you know, but, but, but people can't relate to that, but, but that's, that's kind of leaking in as well. And that's yeah, dangerous. I, 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 it is dangerous. And, and that, that's, what's going to impact us. You know, we're crying out for players who are eligible for Ireland. And we're moaning about players that, yeah. you know, are eligible or we're losing to them, but then, are we making it a nice environment yeah. for them people coming well, in and, well, and welcoming to well, the Irish well, way? Jack, well, Jack Grealish being called the plastic paddy by Stephen Quinn, and I, look, I'm I'm sure 
he kind of had his mind made up at that stage. But if you're getting called a plastic paddy by, you know, someone who is very stereotypically Irish looking and, and a very average footballer, it's uh, it's it's certainly not a welcoming environment. And then, I mean, the rumours of the rumours of Declan Rice um, yeah. and Harry Arter with, with Roy King. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they're eligible. We we haven't been in their households. We don't know how. I mean, you can't measure how Irish someone feels. That's a lot of bollocks. You, you can't measure yeah. it. You can't get inside someone's head. There's no there's no parameter for that. Um, and, and if like, you're you're entitled to feel how you want, and you don't have to prove that to people. You don't have to lash it on. And that's the thing as well. And let's remember, like Jack, we all love Big Jack. We all love Jack Charlton, what he brought for Irish football and stuff. And Jack embraced that. Like, you know, Jack was an England World Cup winner. I'm passionate about England. You know, you see him even now when, when we look back at videos of him and he's, he's saying, Bobby Charlton, my brother, was the best England player ever. I'm so proud of him and things like that. And Jack, but he, Jack, it was, it was well known, loved the Rebel songs. He loved the crack. He saw what that brought to the Irish team. And he, he wasn't like offended by it. Imagine now today an England World Cup winning manager, or, you know, like a player who played for England coming in as a manager. And, and hearing all the rebel songs and stuff, and then going, oh, well, I can't mm. have that on the bus because it'd be snowflake generation. It'd be highly offended by it. You're insulting my family. We don't want to ever yeah. get it to that level. We want to have some culture with ourselves. But I just think, I just don't understand the whole hatred of it. And I can, I, I think it's a big, I think we're losing something and not understanding our our playing, our, our players and stuff. You know, I know it comes yeah. into the national identity and even singing the national anthem, you know, just because Italy, we know they're notoriously passionate and they all know the words. I mean, England, I think they have been told, haven't they? I think they've been told they've all learned the anthem because to be fair to them, it's the first time. I think that's something Southgate should be very proud of. He has brought that big identity and it's a positive nationalism in a way that he's got them all engaged with that. Um, but, you know, when our team go out and three or four of them don't sing the national anthem, straight away on Twitter and social media, they're being hammered. They're not passionate. They don't even bother yeah. learning the song. This is embarrassing. I wish now, I allowed to now, do that. Now, now, I completely agree with that. Counter-argument. Breen would have to make this counter-argument. And I don't know whose book he was referring to, but he kind of said, when you, you know, when you step onto the pitch, you just want to get going. Like, you, you know, the anthems, yes, they're, they're special and they're unique, but, but at the end of the day, you just, you just want to bypass that and I, get going. Yeah. But, but, but at the same more. time, but at the same time, I would agree. I think I, I I know I think it's just a kind of traditional thing. But I I wish our lads were kind of you know, um, had their arms around each other and that they were that they were all singing it and singing it correctly. Yeah. I mean, even uh, look, Declan Rice and always slag him, but he made the effort to learn it off. Mick McCarthy made the effort to learn it off. So I I think I think it should be a minimum. I know they're focused and I know they want to get into the game. Yeah. But I think I, I think it's I think it sends out, I think it sends out even for the fans. I think it sends out a huge message of unity. I, I don't know. I I'm not obviously I've never been a professional player, but um I'd imagine like any athlete, when you get onto the pitch, that's the zone. You're in the zone. And I I think where a manager would come from, I've never been a manager, unless LMA manager counts. Um you have to get I, I don't think a manager would want to um upset the zone of the player. You know, players will do funny things, won't they? They'll they'll touch a peg, they'll they'll tape their ankles up, they'll they'll touch someone's head like three times. You know, could, the, very... could the anthem not enhance the zone? But that's up to the player. I, I think it's up to the players, and I think it's it's, it's led by the players. I think even even the fact we do the huddle, it's not for everyone, is it? I wouldn't think. Mm. 
you know, you're hearing no. the same thing. There's not many national teams. That. Yeah, not many national Harry teams. Kane. Let's fucking yeah. win it. Let's win it. Let, let's go and win it. Yeah, no substance to that man, is there? Harry, I mean, great player, and he's he should lead by example, and that's what he does. But when he was giving team talks, oh, it's just fucking winning. Yeah, it's fucking nice. winning. It's fucking no do personality. It. God love him. Mm. Oh, bless him. Um, I yeah, I mean, the anthem saying, okay, it's probably not going to be very helpful. You know, or it's probably not going to be very popular amongst some people. And I, I understand, I understand it as well. But I think that's more down to that's the player's own. That's how they prepare for it. And obviously the English players are almost like at gunpoint. You know, I, I get this image of uh of uh you know the cameraman like with the with a with a gun underneath the uh, the camera, like, you know, you better mm-hmm. sing it, pal. You know, and, and they're singing to really, you know, make sure to get their MBE or whatever. Um so yeah, but I think as well with the with England, um what would always be a bit of crack with you know a bit of banter with England you know uh, oh god you know we'll never hear but we'll hear about 1966 now and all this kind of stuff you know it's always that little bit of banter I think this particular championships kind of tore um the lid off that kind of worms and I think it exposed an awful lot and I think a lot of hatred towards England um people have probably never been to England or have never lived in England probably never moved outside of Ireland um I think their they their their hatred was almost justified, and I thought it was covered up a lot. You know, uh, you, you know, it's banter and all that. But you you, but some of it was banter, but a lot of it was just like, no, this is not banter. You have a deep yeah. resentment. And the funny, the the ironic thing was, a lot of people say, no, they're racist, they're xenophobic, hate fuck England, can't stand England, the English are this, the English are that. And you're like, well, you're actually accusing a country of xenophobia by being xenophobic against that country. <laughs> that, yeah. That's it, yeah. Do you I, know, I, I, I agree completely what you're saying there as well. With And the people that came out most against, and it's because they rejected us, let's be honest, it was Grealish and, and Declan Rice. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I thought Declan Rice had a brilliant game in the final. I thought it was excellent. And I, I post stuff on Facebook. You know, I, I just always say, good luck, Declan. Put a photo of him up in an Irish shirt. Like, that that's just me. That is, I think, genuine. Like having a bit of a laugh, basically. I don't have any ill feeling for him at all. I think I, I can see the situation that he was in, um, and it, and I always just say it still hurts. I, I like, because it does because I, I wish he'd been playing for Ireland. He's an incredible player, and Jack Grealish the same. And I, I actually blame others for not getting that across the line with them. And it angers but, me. But you know. I think now, but then I can see, you know, like, and you're hearing them now. I just think with Declan Rice, and I don't want to make it about him, but the thing that annoys me with Declan Rice is he seems to be revising his own history in his own mind because he comes out, which I just think he should stay quiet, really saying, oh, I've always loved England, I'm so passionate and stuff, because we know that's not the case. We know you had a real traumatic time deciding. You know, basically, that's what we were told. It was a real hard thing. In hindsight now, when you hear Mick McCarthy's, when he first spoke to him, he says, I knew straight away. You know, like he knew. So that was all a bit bullshit. We had to kind of, all kind of, and I, we, like, I really held out hope to the very last minute. Oh, he's going to change his mind and he's going to, he is going to declare for us. And I was hoping that he, that was the thing. And that's what I kind of heard from even Marco Tool, I think I mentioned it before, mm-hmm. um, saying, you know, give him time and stuff. And even at that meeting when we had the we had the Kalamazada's dad as well was there with us, and he just said, you know, the more you go on to these players, that you know, and and their people are 
at them on social media or, or putting anything negative in their mindset, they will just think, basically, fuck Ireland. Why am I going to play for them if I'm getting shit off their fans already or yeah, our yeah. fans already? Like, you know, I do have a choice. That's the thing, you know, like you just said, Nick, dual nationality, you do you do have a choice. We've got, we're going to have the opposite problem now with, you know, like uh, players yeah. of Nigerian and African descent who are going to qualify for two or three players teams and England and us and we've got to create that environment which I know Stephen Kenny's very much trying to do and Jim Crawford to be fair they're trying to create that that they do feel yeah. Irish but we've, we've got the same problem and it's the reverse really of where we've we've come from ourselves and I just think as a fan base we've just got to be nicer like I just yeah. think generally football fans have got to be a bit bloody nicer to each other it'd, it'd be interesting it'd be interesting to know Germany, you know, the amount of players that go and play for Turkey or in France, the amount of uh, players that go and play for Nigeria. I know, like, in terms yeah. of cultural slagging and so on, like, you know, there, there's massive issues there. But but in terms of the footballing culture, um, be very, very interested to know, like, how, how they kind of react if there's a bit of a tug of war, because I haven't really tracked it personally myself, but it, it, mm. it'd, be, it'd be an interesting one to look at. But but certainly, certainly a discussion for another day. So we're going to leave it there for tonight. Uh, some very, very interesting points. And certainly, uh, you know, very concerning points as well. But it was good to get kind of first-hand views from David and Martin. So, uh, just, and just to, I suppose while we're here, I know I say we never blow our own trumpet, but we keep doing so. Uh, we've broken into the top 10 of the all-time um, football podcasts on Apple in Ireland. I know that's very specific, but um, I suppose I just want to thank all the listeners because, you know, you guys are the ones who listen and actually get us into the charts. So, Thank you very much, and thanks for your feedback as well, because that that also shapes the episode. So, well done, lads. I suppose that's uh, that, that that's a nice achievement in itself. And thank you I, to the listeners. And until next week, sorry, David, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, lads. I was just going to say thank you, thank you to both of you for being on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say thanks to the listeners and stuff. It's, it is great, and it's great to get your feedback and interaction and stuff. And uh, I like, you know, being referred to as, oh, the English lad needs to sort out his audio. Uh, that made me laugh. Um, but uh, no, uh, thanks everyone for listening to us. And um, yeah, we've got some great ideas coming up. So, um, you know, so much stuff to talk about in football. Anyone's got ideas or want to get involved a little bit more, let us know, I think. I think just me. I think just while we're on that, like, I mean, we, we kind of did this in the very early days. We'd love for people to, because to, we've loads of, like, I'm not just saying this, but we've, we've, you know, we've endless content, don't we? You know, in, in terms of stuff, because as, as things pop up, we'll discuss it. And then as games pop up, we'll discuss them. And then we've, you know, the retro stuff is our thing. But I mean, in the early days, we love getting suggestions of people of what they would love to hear and what they would love to have discussed. And, and that really, that was really enjoyable because it was interactive. And at the end of the day, like we're fans, we're not, we're not pros. I mean, I know I've done, I've done media work and stuff and Oshin, who's, who's part of the, the podcast has done media work as his green. We're not, we're, we're not allowed, we're not allowed to name them because. Really? They come after us. Go yeah. on. <laughs> well, actually, go well, actually he won't, he won't, he won't come after me. He'll go after Oshin. <laughs> but um, but I mean, you know, it, but, but at the end of the day, we're fans, and and if people want things discussed, we're we're we'll talk about it for days, won't we? You know, like we'll we'll, we'll make a discussion out of it, and it is the fans who shape this, you know. So so yeah, thank and, you. And the point I'd make on that as well that we, you know, 
I'm personally involved in running of a supporters club, so I know a lot of what we're trying to get the FAI to improve on as well, and that is ultimately the fans' experience. We're getting lots of information, asking the key questions of the FAI that fans, match-going fans, want to know as well, so on tickets and stuff. So I'm hoping that, the, that our podcast will develop a little bit like that as well, but it's a message board to get that information out to fans as well. So um, it's all yeah. good. And we're in the press conferences, so I mean... I mean, just shoot off to David or Martin and, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can because we want to be interactive. I mean, Stephen Kennedy is very transparent with fans and that's what we want to do as well. But, I mean, it's 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 enjoyable. And, you know, even just to give us a bit of a hand, I mean, just, just share the podcast around or if you're enjoying it, just, you know, let your friends know or let your family know or whoever. If you're not enjoying it, that's fine. You know, we not everyone's going to like us. Uh, you know, not everyone's going to like David. But, I mean, it's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> who why who have I offended this week except for maybe the I don't know. Brian Brian is safe. Wembley Brian Stadium. is safe this week. Wembley Stadium yeah. Limited, UA <laughs> <laughs> Brian Brian, Sl- Brian Slattery yeah, is probably. safe this week. Um Limerick Limerick has, has gotten off the hook again. We actually have we're, we we should actually do like one of those clocks, you know. Um like la- you know, like those kind of earthquake clocks, like the last time since an earthquake or whatever, we should do it like the last time David offended Limerick. I think we need to. I think we need to start. We'll do. We'll do. Do you know? What we'll do. We'll do a GoFundMe to to um you know to buy the clock. I think that's that could be a decent idea. 